Uh, hello and welcome to Liberty Now, the show for discerning minds and common sense. We seek the truth and can think for ourselves. I'm your host, John Verd. Thank you for stopping by. I'll be here with you every Saturday at 10 p.m. looking at the headlines, asking questions, and talking to people who are making a difference in the world. Virus mania, politics and profits. Today, we're talking with Dr. Sam Bailey. She's a general practitioner and research physician with a particular interest in novel tests and treatments for medical diseases. She lives here in New Zealand and has the country's largest YouTube health channel. Dr. Sam has also been a co-presenter for a nationwide television health show in New Zealand that debunks common health misconceptions called The Checkup. And she is a co-author of Virus Mania, a book about how the medical industry continually invents epidemics, making billion-dollar profits at our expense. Dr. Sam, it's an honor to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much, John. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. <laughs> yeah, you too. Um, well, I'll get right into the questions, but I, I just first wanted to say congratulations on Virus Mania. Uh, it's it's a great book. I'm about 99% through it, and it has been eye-opening, to say the least. Um, tell me the, the story about what led up to your becoming involved with your co-authors on this latest edition. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll start a little bit. I'll go back a little bit more in time to tell you the full story, because I think it gives it some background about what led up. So essentially, um, yeah, as you said, I'm a, I'm a medical doctor, conventionally trained, and I um, I started a YouTube channel just to make videos on health topics, and mm -hmm. in the beginning of 2020, I only had a little, <laughs> little channel, but um, I started, everyone obviously was following what was happening um, with the pandemic, it hadn't yeah. quite reached New Zealand yet, you saw a lot of these awful images of people dropping down and dead in Wuhan um Italy was yeah, starting to ramp up shocking. yeah and, and and it was really hard to make sense of a lot of what was going on and um I became very interested and curious about the science behind it so I started doing a lot of my own research um and I came across um initially it was actually a, a um another doctor an American doctor Dr Andy Kaufman's he was doing podcasts and I've watched one of his videos and yeah, I've heard of him yeah and I thought this guy um just the questioning of of viruses and what what was going on and it really started to make me think and then I stumbled across virus mania which was originally written in 2007 by these two German authors so um one is a very well-respected veteran um physician called Dr. Klaus Kuhnlein mm -hmm. and another um was a an investigative journalist Torsten Engelbrecht and I it had such a profound effect on me that um <sighs> it was probably just subconsciously I started making my YouTube videos on these things and um and anyway by September last year um mm -hmm. i had um i started i my platform had built up quite a lot um but uh i also started making some really controversial videos because i yeah you've, you've been censored a few times you've had youtube videos pulled down 
just for asking questions. And I mean, you've had a very scientific, thoughtful approach, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, ex- exactly, John. Like, yeah, I um, what shocked me and coming. I mean, I'm a New Zealander. I I thought that we had free speech until this all sort of happened. Right. <laughs> and it's I guess it's that test when you really are faced with it, and then you appreciate that maybe it's not the case. Um, so I I made this video because I in New Zealand's a very small place, and I knew someone that was running one of the testing centres and. Mm-hmm that the PCR testing that was being done for COVID, the funding from the ministry was being turned off and on and the cases were going up and down because of this, when they stopped doing tests, um, then the cases went down um, because of the lack of money. So I made a video about this and I also talked about how I didn't personally want um, to get the COVID-19 vaccine and I explained my reasons I didn't go into I don't I, I've never really told people what they should do I think they should make up people should make up their that's own fair. minds that's fair yeah I, I think we have seen um and we'll get into it in your book but I think it, there's yeah. been plenty of good reason to question things after reading the research in there yeah exactly and um and I also have come from a background of having done about 10 years of working in clinical trials so I thought there was no way a vaccine could come out. I, I really didn't think it was possible that it could happen so quickly. Um, right. The fastest was, you know, four years um, that I'd seen previously. And um, so I thought, well, there's no way this is going to happen so quickly. Anyway, um, within a couple of weeks, everything changed for me. So like you talked about the censorship, um, I was doing this TV show. I was about three quarters of the way through filming it. I had a phone call from the lawyer telling me to take down my video. Um, I said, I said I wouldn't. And, um, because I believed everything I'd said. And, uh, then they said, well, just take out the bit on the vaccines. And again, I said, I I can't, I can't do this. I, I want to, this is what I believe. And I don't want someone else controlling what I say. I, um, I lost a job. Yeah. Yeah. I got told I can't. I can't come in to work anymore, a place I worked at for 12 years. Um, And then the medical council started um, investigating me and um, it it really, it happened very quickly all at once. And uh, as a consequence of that, um, I continued to do what I was doing because I I strongly believe in the freedom of speech. And um, yeah, and I, uh, one of the authors from virus mania you know how these it's like these gifts from god or something i don't know yeah. how this happens but um reached out to me and said do you want to interview class and i said wow I'd love to wow um and then and then you know how these it's so serendipitous and then um we got on so well and they said you know would you like to be part of this we're doing a new edition and um and i said Absolutely. Sign me up. And, um, and that's kind of how I got part of it. And, and it's been just wonderful for me. It's been a huge, um, change in my life, but at the same time, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for it. Yeah. And we've gotten to this point. I mean, this was, um, from the time you were told to take that first video off, how long ago was that? Not even a year ago or how long? Yeah, it's not a year. It's not even a year ago, and um, it's yeah, it was September, and um, yeah, and I still I still have the videos wow. up, but um, yeah. yeah, 
I had a, a really good video I made was the one with Klaus and that was one that got taken down and and I you know in fairness um you know there's I'm not obviously there's so much big tech censorship going on right now yes um, I've been talking about that many episodes I've covered that topic exactly and you can't um I don't take it for granted. I don't know how I've managed to stay. <laughs> I'm holding on there by a thread, but um, yeah. I'm also quite careful what I what I say because I, I feel like the main thing I want to do is reach as many people as I can. And um, now what I do is I make trailers for videos um, that I, I know will will get taken off from YouTube. And right. um, yeah. Well, keep sharing them. And, you know, there are new platforms sprouting up all the time. So it's kind of like a whack-a-mole, you know, they're just, every time they <laughs> knock one down, somebody else brings another one up. So I've, by the way, uh, just advice for everybody that that is interested in getting the truth out there, download and save as many of the videos, at least the most important ones that you can save them on your hard drive, share them, you know, on flash drives, if you need to share them on other platforms, because, um, things are being censored. Anybody that questions the mainstream narrative um, is getting taken down really quickly. So we have to keep a pace with that. Sam, there's a lot of research behind this book, over 50 pages of source material, 56 pages, I think, looking through it. It's just overwhelming, uh, giving us lots of good reason to question the real causes of past epidemics, even some cancers, uh, which, uh, which studies are evidence in the history of medicine, do you think readers will find most surprising? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it really depends on where you're coming from. Um, you know, the readers and what they understand. I mean, for me right. personally, the um, one of the biggest shocks I had when I very first read it was around the Spanish flu, the 1918 uh -huh. um, Spanish flu epidemic and how... <sighs> <laughs> their problems with demonstrating transmission of of the Spanish flu virus um, in, right. in humans, and it was um it's a really really good um, chapter on the Spanish flu. They um, we cover it really well, and um, basically there was these sixty two sailors, healthy sailors, that had done some minor misdemeanors, and anyway they were <laughs> recruited into the study on the basis that they would get an early pardon and they had to do all these, and this is, this is true science. This is, this would never get past ethics ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Tell, tell people what they did. I, I was yeah. amazed by this. It, it was, yeah. It's, it's, it's um, really interesting. So basically they got these healthy sailors and took them to um, people who had the Spanish flu and they're very sick. So they're usually in the first three days of illness. So they knew that the, this is supposedly when they're the most contagious. And what they did was they got them to cough in their face. They got um, samples of their mucus, of their snot, essentially, yeah. rubbed it in the healthy volunteers' um, noses, dropped it into their eyes. Um, they had to breathe in their fetid breath. Um, they did everything to try and uh, make show the germ theory that these that the Spanish flu virus could transmit to healthy people. And right. not one, not one of the sailors got sick. If you're just tuning in, this is John Verd on Liberty Now on air. 
on 96.9 Plains FM in Christchurch. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes at Liberty Now On Air. You can also get the links, files, and show notes for this episode at libertynow.com. And right. not one, not one of the sailors got sick. And that's um, just amazing. And these these are all these sick people are presenting with the same symptoms, which is ostensibly, you know, maybe it hadn't been labeled as such yet, the Spanish flu. But they've all got what they believe is causing this pandemic at this point. And they could not yeah. get any healthy individuals ill exactly. doing all that. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, and wow. when you see it because i mean you can look at the original studies it's all referenced um it, it i mean it's true this is what you, you need to see and then it makes you <clears throat> think well if they can't infect healthy people um you know from someone who's sick um right. ha- what what is that how does asymptomatic transmission happen <laughs> yeah and, that exactly that was one of my other questions too and i mean presu- i mean Presumably, you know, viruses, I mean, they, they do exist, they get people sick, um, but may, perhaps it, it wasn't a virus or one that wasn't transmittable if, it, if that's what was causing the, the illness in the first place in, in the case of Spanish flu. Yeah, well, what, what I also like about um, a big theme in virus mania is they, they just, they go through all the evidence and they don't, let, you know, they don't tell you what to think. We don't tell you what to think. It's right. about drawing your own conclusions from things and one of the uh, big takeaways from the book is really around the evidence for the um the isolation and the existence for a lot of these viruses and um is it as simple that these conditions are caused by a virus or are they caused by something else and um you know spanish flu obviously happened at a time in um where it was right at the end of world war one I mean, they had just been through literally hell and um, people were very um, deficient in lots of nutrients. So, I mean, there was lots of environmental things. They did huge vaccine experiments on, um, on the people at that time as well. And um, yeah, so it really, um, the chapter outlines kind of the buildup and why, why people were getting sick and, and really, you know, the evidence of there doesn't seem to be any, anything that's caught there's no infectious agent that's caused this illness like we've been told right i mean and we have to look at you know um and that's i mean that's where science comes in right we we have to be able to prove exactly what the cause was one of the things that shocked me was the evidence or the lack of evidence i guess around uh polio virus and and the at the same time there was a huge environmental toxins happening um i don't know if you want to talk about that at all yeah that's like the big spoiler alert (laughs) um yeah they um yeah essentially like you say um yeah again the evidence for the polio virus even existing um but like you say environmental toxins uh like ddd um uh, sprays that were used rampantly um at in the uh basically was introduced in, in the 50s well it was on the background of being used for at the end of world war ii and um the heavy associations with um 
DDT use as a, as a kind of, it was like a household cleaner. It was just encouraged. I, yeah, I couldn't believe some of the images that, that I was looking at and, and how it, it was so just everywhere in the environment. I mean, they were using it in, in wallpaper. They were spraying it directly on people for delousing. And I mean, this is one of the most toxic substances on the planet. Yeah, just amazing. I know. And the thing is, this this is the same story has been repeated over and over again. Unfortunately, uh, I mean, there's so many examples of similar things where, again, these diseases are blamed on a virus, and actually, it's from something that we're doing to ourselves. And you know, it's the same issue with organophosphates. Um, you know that they're apparently so safe that you can drink it. Um, oh, oh <laughs> yeah. Don't get me going on Monsanto. And um, <laughs> that's another uh, episode I mean, by itself. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. But it's, it's, yeah. I think the viruses have been used as scapegoats for a very long time and it's yeah. very entrenched in, um, in mainstream medicine, this idea, basically, if you don't know what's going on, let's find, you know, blame it on a virus. And I remember that myself as a, um, you know, as working as a GP, if you couldn't come up with, you know, you weren't sure exactly what was happening, a virus, maybe it's a virus. And, um, and it's, it's really a big life. Uh, there's often um, other things that are explaining what's going on. Yeah, I, I believe, you know, I've, I've always had a, a pretty strong, I'm not a doctor, but I've been working in the fitness industry for about 20 years. And I, <clears throat> I pay close attention to um, health, diet, nutrition, and, uh, you know, other health related things, vitamin intake. And um, I've, I've long felt and even experienced, you know, um, things in the environment. I, one example, just, uh, just from moving from the United States here to New Zealand, uh, without really altering anything other than my food source, uh, I just started feeling better when I moved here. My, a lot of my joint pain went away. I'm very inclined to think a lot of these things are environmental. Yeah. It's again, this idea of germ versus terrain theory. And I, right. I, I agree. And um, yeah, it's the trouble is, is there's no money. All the money is in germ theory. It's not in terrain theory and fixing your environment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Again, the old Latin phrase comes up, ki bono. Yeah. Your yeah. benefits, right? Yeah. Um, I, that's the first place I look when, whenever <laughs> I question something, you know, is, is there money in this? Um, yeah. Um, Sam is, so you've been looking at this for a while. Is COVID significantly different than any other epidemics like SARS or swine flu? Yeah. So my, my feeling about this, John, is that COVID is similar because to these other epidemics and the fact that they're all false epidemics. And when I say that, I mean that what's happening, uh, these are test epidemics that are going on so again there's such a lack of proof of um that these viruses um have that you know they've never been and i i I talk about this a lot in my own in my videos but they haven't been fully what we determine well what scientists call isolation is not what people think and um they haven't purified them isolated them and shown that they cause disease and not that you have to do the Spanish flu type experiments, but you have to show right. some <laughs> yeah. evidence that these um, are transmissible. Um, and so um, another 
really important thing I like to bring up is around um, classification of illness. And, and I know it sounds quite geeky, but um, really what happened with COVID is that we had a whole bunch of people that got pneumonia in China and they had a new test and this test says that we it's COVID for SARS again that this is a reclassification of pneumonia like illnesses and this test says that it's SARS or this says it's swine flu or bird flu or whatever is the current test that's been done and if you do millions of tests on people you will find millions of cases but it doesn't mean um, that, that there's an infectious agent and COVID is really right. unique in the fact that there are no definable diagnostic symptoms or signs for COVID-19 and this is again this right. doesn't ever happen if you you think about any condition so say rheumatoid arthritis um, a heart attack pregnancy there's always some symptoms that um, you know as a doctor you're looking for then you think about the signs what what are you finding on examination and the tests are used as the final thing to really confirm your your diagnosis for COVID-19 people can be completely well and have absolutely no symptoms to in ICU just about dead and um, and this is if you have a positive PCR test all of those everything in between will be a case of COVID-19. And this is this is the big scam because it's essentially, um, Mike Colther called it, and I think it's absolutely right, it's a PCR pandemic is what we're seeing. If you... Right. Because, I mean, normally with the, with any other illness, you know, you, we, we first need to see presenting with some kind of recognizable symptoms that are characteristic yes. of this particular illness. And then with that, we would do a test to find a specific infection agent, right? Yeah, well, you're trying to confirm, I guess, um, yeah. what what what's going on. And and I, I like to use pregnancy as a as a really good example because, um, you know, there's a certain group of symptoms that people have when they're pregnant, <laughs> um, like yes. not getting a period or something, and then developing, growing a baby. But um, there's for actually the pregnancy test itself, the urine test is an indirect test. It's not. Um, it's not what they call the gold standard. So the gold standard is usually an ultrasound scan showing that there's definitely a baby there. Um, but this um, urine pregnancy test has been around for a long time and it's been validated as very, very reliable. Um, with something like COVID-19, the PCR test, um, they've done some really interesting studies where they've shown that hospitalised patients with COVID-19 mm-hmm. have, you can literally have a, and this is, because it's either positive or negative, um, a, a patient comes in and they, from one day to the next, it's positive, negative, positive, negative. And this is someone who's supposed to be extremely sick with an illness. I mean, if, if this was a pregnancy right. test, you wouldn't accept it. it. It's just, you'd throw it out because you'd say this is just useless. Right. And um, yeah. And are they, and they're I, presuming that when they see a positive, even though they, subsequently may see a negative they're going to presume that they're they're still positive yeah well then yeah i i i it's so different to anything that we've ever had before i don't even know what the logic is of explaining it away that that this is well then they start saying that this is to do with the viral load of but you're not measuring 
viral load with a PCR test, it's, um, I mean, it's the PCR is incredibly manipulable. Maybe we could jump right to that. Um, you, yeah. You're familiar of the inventor of the PCR test, Dr. Kerry Mullis. Um, yeah. You did a video actually about him. And uh, did, did he ever say that this was a reliable method for testing COVID? No. So obviously, um, Carrie Mullis um, passed away before COVID-19 happened. So he, he never said it about COVID-19. But um, he did talk heavily about um, PCR tests being used for infections and that they are not fit for purpose. Again, this idea that you can find anything you want to um, with a PCR test. It's you just basically put it into the system of what you want and it will find it. And you, you and this is this idea about cycle thresholds um, being important um, where you can, if you have a cycle threshold of over 36, it's essentially picking up dead debris. Um, we don't right. even know what this means. What do you make of the fact that they're altering the cycle threshold depend like pre um, vaccination and post vaccination, like they they've they seem to have a a widely variable standard. I've I've heard the WHO or NIH recommending up to forty cycles, and then in other times they recommend like twenty to twenty five. I mean, if this was a reliable, consistent test, why would they change that? Exactly, uh, Yeah, I mean, you have to just draw your own conclusions. What are they trying to do? You can easily change. Um, and especially with COVID, because everything is based on this test. It's not based right. on the symptom. If you have a, a lower threshold rate um, and it's negative um, versus, you know, a higher threshold rate and it's positive, and you can easily manipulate the number of cases and, um, and what that means. And I think the other thing, John, um, and I can say this honestly because I've experienced, experienced it myself, but doctors don't understand about PCR testing. And um, right. I understand a lot about it now because I've done 18 months of solid <laughs> research into this. Right. To, uh, virology is poorly taught. And if you, and I'd encourage people to ask their own GP, ask their doctor, you know, to explain about what they understand about the PCR test. And they Great can't, question. They to, yeah, they won't be able to tell you. Um, and I think PCR is very useful for some things, in particular forensics, um, genetics. It's it's it, it has a, it has a place and it's an amazing technology, but it should not be used for infection. And um, right. now what they're moving towards, um, and you can see this with this latest kind of media move, they want to do these multi multiplex. Um, PCR, so where you get your test for things like COVID, RSV, influenza in one, because the idea too is that they want to have these three in one vaccines for those three. Moderna are working on that right now. So, um, right. No, th I mean, that, that seems like just adding more complexity to an already like exercise in futility to begin with. Yeah, it's very worrying. And I think everything underpins this. The PCR test is incredibly important to yeah. appreciate that it doesn't tell you that you're infectious. And this is what Carrie Mullis said. It's not detecting a virus. It's detecting parts of genetic fragments. And that's all we've got time for this week. I hope you're finding this as interesting as I am. And thank you for tuning in. 
I really appreciate you taking the time to listen as you do your own research. Please tune in again next Saturday for the rest of this interview with Dr. Sam Bailey. Meanwhile, if you have any questions or tips for future episodes, shoot me an email to john at libertynow.com and be sure to subscribe to get early updates at libertynow.com. Until next time, be good and keep asking questions. Mm -hmm.